1: This is the Winning Plays Podcast on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider for the NBA's winningest franchise. Hey there. Welcome in to the Winning Plays Podcast live from Las Vegas. At least I am. Ryan Bernadoni filling in for Rich is back at the home base in New England. Um, and Ryan, we are uh, the Celtics have made their second free agent signing. And um, the, the bargain basement bin... Has hit. Uh, Dennis Schroeder is coming aboard for the taxpayer mid-level exception of, of $5.9 million, which is um, considerably less than an offer he got uh, earlier last season. But we'll get to that later. But for now, we, we kind of threw around this possibility on Friday, you and I and Rich, and we, we kind of guessed, yeah, like they're, it's, it's worth looking at, but maybe it's not going to be a situation where it's realistic if you have to, um, you know, get hard cap and stuff for it. But uh, Brad Stevens and company find a way to pull this off um, without having to give themselves any limitations. He takes the taxpayer, although it doesn't even get the player option in year two. So don't even have to worry about that aspect of it. Um, your initial impressions of uh, this, uh, this deal getting pulled off.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's hard to argue with the value. Um, seems like a, a really good deal. And we don't know where it will go from here. Right. I mean, as we talked about, he's not like the ideal fit for, for what I think the team is looking for, but at like $6 million, that's totally fine. That um, you don't need the ideal fit. You just need some somebody who's an upgrade and who's going to play. And uh, he's certainly both of those things. Uh, when we were talking, I was sort of assuming that they would have to find a place to move Chris Dunn and open up the full mid level. And, and I didn't think they were oh, both, both of that.
1: us. Both of us did. I yeah. think we all did. No one thinks going to take less than
0: nine. Maybe not go for a second year on it, but, at least be able to, to get to that amount. Um, and yes, that would then mean the hard cap and that's why they'd have to move done and, and all that sort of stuff. So to not have to do any of that um, seems like a, like a really good value. They may still move done for other reasons. I don't know if there's any real spot for him on the roster or somebody like there's somebody who's going to get squeezed out here when you look at sort of the way the roster set up, not just from the number of people who are on it, but from how many you know guards there are, are currently on it. But regardless of what happens from this point, like you just can't really argue with it. And if the, obviously like worst case scenario is he gets injured or something like that, but taking that out of play, like I think the worst case scenario would be like the team underperforms and you trade him at the trade deadline. And like you turned an exception that you weren't going to use for anything else into two second round picks or something. And that's like your worst case, you know, your reasonable worst case scenario here, which is still pretty darn good. Um, So you really like, um, what can you say about it? Like you get him for that amount, then you just sort of have to take it. Um, And it's you know, I think a, a good, another good move in terms of like getting value out of limited resources uh, throughout this, you know, this off season. And it's it sort of the way I've sort of been thinking about it is that it's like almost a Bill Belichick, New England Patriots move where you see a lot of really bad deals signed at six Oh five, the first day free agency opens. And if you're just patient and you wait out the market a little bit, then there's always some guys who are left over. And those guys may be a little bit less attractive than the guys who went off the, the board on the first day, but they're 10% worse for 30% of the pay. And like in a salary cap league, that's,
1: that's a good deal. Right? <laughs> that, that matters. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's a great point from, and, that, and that, this is honestly like looking back at like the Fournier just deal and last trade deadline and just this whole free agent market in 2021, I always looked at all these names and just the teams that had cap room and thought, that like again i i, I you know you, you thought it might be for but it was going to be someone like someone was going to slip through the cracks because there wasn't enough cap room to give all these guys the kind of deals they were looking for and so that was always going to be in plain form and so forth but you know you didn't necessarily expect the Celtics to be the beneficiary of that that could have been like any team because all these tons of teams around the league had the their mid level exception left and were probably offering similar money to the Celtics but Again, to your point, like they, the patience play worked out very well here in terms of, okay, we have opportunity that we can offer. Uh, We have you, we can offer the same money as everyone else is offering you right now. And we can offer you, you know, some, some good players to play with. Um, And so again, that formula usually benefits other teams. And and in past years, it's hurt the Celtics because the Celtics just weren't, weren't able to offer opportunity because they've had pretty, you know, stacked depth charts. But this is a situation where the Kemba trade and obviously Fournier walking for bigger money um, opened the door here to, to go to a guy like Schroeder and say, hey, like, we have this money. We know it's not what you want, but you can put together a good season here and then get paid. Um, and now, again, that that kind of comes to fruition.
0: Yeah, well, I think there's a, a, a couple things in there. One is like we don't actually know how much of this is design versus fortune right right but my guess we, is that they did offer more money and probably the full mid-level to some other players like you know the one that i've said is like you know, did they make an offer for danny green trying to get him away for philadelphia like it would make total sense sure. for them to have done that uh so we don't know how much of this was like i am fully against going into the hard cap but i have heard that like brad has been reticent to want you know to hard cap the team for for a variety of reasons um and that they would have you know, they may have done that for other options if they had been able to get Lonzo Ball on a sign and trade. Obviously, that that would would do that. Um, so I don't know how much of this is like pure design that they're like, our plan is to wait out the market versus how much of it was like, our plan is to not do anything that is going to limit us and then we'll just sort of see how the the chips fall. Right. But either way, it's it's worked out well and and either of those things are also completely reasonable ways to operate through uh, uh, you know an off season with the resources that they had. So I think that that's been been good management. The thing that I find a little bit interesting is that. I don't actually know if this is a situation where there is a ton of opportunity for him, like compared to others, because if you look at the team, we know that Tatum's going to handle the ball a lot. We know that they've sort of said that smart is still going to be a starter and probably the starting point guard. Josh Richardson can handle the ball. Peyton Pritchard's looked very good in, uh, in, in the very limited summer league stuff, but would also look like an NBA player last year and he's sort of a point guard. Uh, and so I don't know how much of an opportunity there really is for like Dennis Schroeder to run the offense and, and, be the sort of focal point other than for, you know, pretty limited bench minutes.
1: Ryan, you, the, the, that so. sound you hear is the Celtics front office shushing you right now. <laughs> you
0: well, saying? but he's already signed. Right? I know, I know. He signed the deal. I know, like, I'm you know, kidding, I'm and kidding. And <laughs> the reports right after that, I don't even remember from who, so I am apologize for whatever it is, had sort of said, like, they haven't made him any promises in terms of being a starter or anything like that. Right. And of course, if they're offering Marcus Smart $17 million a year and they're offering Dennis Schroeder $6 million a year for one season, there's an obvious understanding there that, like, they believe that Smart is a better player. And so you would understand that he would be ahead in the pecking order. So I actually, but you get the point that I'm getting Like I don't know if it's a real opportunity for him to do sort of what he would have done in Oklahoma city a couple of years ago, where it's like, you're going to be playing some of the time with Chris Paul and and Shay, but you're also going to get these minutes where you can sort of, you know, do your own thing. And I don't know if those minutes will be all that, that prevalent here, even if there is a need for shot creation and and on ball stuff, like there are going to be times when he's on the floor with Jalen and Neesmith and whoever in the front court, and he and he is handling the ball and, and playing as a, a you know a real point guard. I'm just saying that when the team is fully healthy, it's not like there's 25 minutes a game where they're going to hand the ball to, to Dennis Schroeder and say go run things. Right. Uh, and I think that's interesting that even in that situation, they were still able to get him for six million dollars just because there's nothing else out there for him. Um, and you know the music stopped and there were there was one chair left and so you take it.
1: Right. It is it's your point. You're right. Like his- his best case scenario is probably, you know, like I said, the six man where you are not you're going to be able to handle the ball for some of the game, but certainly not, you know, all the time you're out there. So, but again, when he, you know, looks where where he thrived in OKC in those three guard lineups, the Celtics obviously have the ability here to go um, with those type of lineups, with you know, assuming that Richardson or or like a Langford is the third guard there alongside him and, and Smart, um, and so that again might, in terms of just getting paid and you know where is a spot where i can play to my strengths and, and get paid like you know you're probably gonna do look better here than you are gonna look in you know uh backing up you know d'angelo wrestle minnesota or whatever an offer he had on the table so it's um it's interesting that's where, where initial impressions i know the roster isn't done here um do you, do you and i'm gonna assume i guess do we assume now that Al is starting at the four? I've actually heard some buzz about this, that this is like the tentative plan um, heading into next season. Um, but now this is obviously a way, if you don't want to do that, you can, you can technically, you know, start Smart and Richardson or Smart and Struder together and then, you know, obviously play Brown and Tatum at three and the four. I'm very curious to see how they, they end up there. But what what would you do and what do you think they're going to do? <laughs> I guess it's better uh, ways to answer it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they're, too guard heavy for that to be ideal and also just again as we know that that is not the right role for al horford at this point so why would you try to do that again um and so i hope that that's not the route that they go uh i had said before that i thought that they should just start kneesmith and get the shooting out there before they sign shooter and now that i think that they have him like the shooter richardson pairing wouldn't really be ideal neither of them are are real shooters and um I think they sort of step on each other's toes a little bit in terms of what they're trying to do with the ball and where they, where they operate on the court. So I would start Richardson, I think. Yeah. Um, so smart Richardson, Jalen Jason, and I would start Robert Williams. Um, <laughs> and then for a couple of reasons, one is I think that that bench unit with Schroeder would do well to have somebody like Horford who can pass and shoot the ball a little bit more. Uh, I mean, Rob's obviously a very good passer as well, but the, particularly the shooting I, I think is helpful. Um uh, so that's kind of where I would go with that, but I, I agree. I don't really know. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if they start with Horford and then at some point have to abandon it um, because I, I just don't think it will ultimately work, but we'll see. It could be a situational
1: thing against um, you know, different yeah. lineups and stuff in the East too, but you're right. Those I mean,
0: it you- don't really end up happening, right? You always talk about situational matchups and then it's like the, the grinding sort of nature of the regular season of having to play every two or three days, it's just really hard to actually like implement that where you're changing your starting lineup all the time. We saw Brad would talk about it in preseason and then you never really got to it because it's just hard to do and to keep your team in order. But uh, the obvious unknown here is if Brad Stevens was still the coach, I would probably just be like, yeah, they're probably going to start all over at the four. <laughs> um or that they would say they would start about the five and not start <laughs> Robert Williams, maybe. But um with a new coach, I I just really don't know because like what are you based on? You don't even have a track record of him being a head coach. We we don't know what his preferences are going to be, what his system uh, decisions will be. And also you have to get preseason done and, and give them some time in training camp and things like that for him to see all the players and make decisions about how he wants to play and who he thinks is there. So I think any buzz there is now about like what they're going to do is premature just because like Utoka probably doesn't know what he's going to do yet. So like how would anybody else know?
1: Right. Yeah. It's So that will be, again, there's plenty of time for them for that to settle itself out. And um, I don't think that part of the roster will be tweaked. Um, much again, you know, other parts of the roster, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but yeah, I think that situation where how things look in the preseason will probably and training camp will probably make the direction they go on that front, but they at least have some options there. Um, and that will be fascinating to see how that turns out. Let's hear from our sponsor bet online, which is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your, all your sports action. We know baseball season's in full swing right now, but you can, Get odds on that NBA, offseason stuff, NHL, UFC, real time updated odds and props, almost anything you can imagine. So, before things get going, head on over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and take advantage of the 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't sit on the sidelines. You can use the promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. It's Bet Online, your online sports experts. Let's, let's look to the depth chart now, because I think this is a, an interesting spot for the team. They, so the Schroeder signing gives them, you know, 16 players signed NBA contracts um, right now. Jabari Bark- Parker is not guaranteed. So that's an easy, you know, if you just want to cut money, that's an easy guy to go to get down to 15. Um, but he also is, you know, you are a bit thin at power forward stuff. So, I mean, you do have Grant Williams there too, but he's not necessarily an obvious candidate to go. Where things are really crowded now is the backcourt. Um, Because you do have Smart, Schroeder, Richardson, Pritchard. Chris Dunn is still a Celtic for the moment. Uh, Carson Edwards, still a Celtic for the remainder of Summer League. Um, And then, I mean, you can throw Lankford in there too, obviously, but I feel like he's going to be playing more of a wing anyway. Um, But, so, I would think there's not room for chris dunn here though even though he isn't to me he's kind of an interesting reclamation project um given what he can do defensively but with this signing it kind of just looks like you know there's not really gonna be room for him to for him and pritchard to play so it probably makes sense to to move him but i don't know if you can get anything for him
0: well yeah i mean i don't think you can get anything for any of the guys who you're gonna lose at the end and i think at the moment as you said because they're so heavy at guard that there is a path where um where Jabari makes the team right. um, and isn't just the assumed, the assumed cut. There's just nobody like of his size and whatever. I mean, we know they need somebody at that position. And if that's all that's left, then then again, that may be just sort of where, where they're left to be. Uh, and you go to the player that we've talked about a lot, that's sort of being on the cusp over, over time that it's like, is Carson Edwards the one who's out primarily because you can just pay probably oklahoma city his contract right and just they'll take him right and while they they don't seem to be limited by the tax line at the moment they're currently over the tax and from what i've heard they don't have a mandate regardless of where they're you know where the team is is going to finish to you know definitely have to be under the tax this year but chris dunn makes five million dollars and carson edward makes 1.7 and like you can pay a team to to take carson edwards and then not have to to cut him and, and carry that, it, it's a little bit more difficult to get rid of or to move Chris Dunn. You have to have somebody with a trade exception. Again, Oklahoma City could do it, but you can't just give them. Right, all they're going like to all the cash, right? Yeah, to just pay him. or you could literally just be like, "Here's two million dollars of our tradable cash. Take Carson Edwards if you want to play him. Fine. If not, you cut him, and you made three hundred thousand dollars or two hundred whatever, however right. much money it is that he makes. I don't remember off the top of my head. Like, um, so it may be that that he's a little bit easier to to do that with. They're also still could be some sort of consolidation trade here where you trade Chris Dunn and Romeo Lankford or whatever. And, and you get some other player who's a, some kind of upgrade or a better positional fit. Um, I think that there is enough guys who have some amount of interest as an NBA player to potentially put something like that together. But as we've talked about, you don't want to be trading first round picks and sort of encumbering your, your options. If it feel hits the market. So it's a little, a little bit of a tough situation here, but like you're talking about 15th, 16th guys here, I think largely it comes down to like, is there a team that still sees anybody in that group as having some value and wants them? And, and that if somebody wants Chris Dunn and nobody wants Carson Edwards, then you trade Chris Dunn. And if somebody wants to take, you know, whatever the other wants to take Bruno Fernando, then that's who you give away. Like you just sort of deal with it by who
1: answers the phone when you call about somebody. (laughs) Someone, yeah, there's, there's someone who's, going to be move yeah. on this roster with again with the right catch with them or they again they got that extra second round pick with dunn and fernando so that at least you can say if you want to include that and not include cash you'll have that option um to get off of one of their deals uh, if it comes to that or you could just again if you if I, I don't expect this to happen but if you know if you just cut edwards you could do that too um but I, I assume in that situation, you yeah, I, maybe, you maybe a couple, you cut, you cut Parker, you sign another big wing at the two way player, and then you go that route. So that's your depth at the, the three, four spot.
0: Yeah. Any of those things are, you know, seem, seem reasonable. Like I said, I just don't think they would cut Edwards cause they could probably pay somebody to take him in just because right. they might be a tax team. You could, you could do that just to avoid going into the tax, to avoid paying out a tax on top of something like that, where you can literally just deal with it in cash. But um, you're getting to the exact same point. You're saying, will this player be on the team or not? And, and I think that all those things, like I said, are reasonable and, and fine. And um, the good thing is, is that two weeks ago, it looked like some of those players may like have to play a role on the team. And now with right. Richardson coming in and, and Schroeder and some of the stuff that's looking positive in, in summer league, um, that that's maybe settling a little bit where you don't feel like this sort of crushing dread about the team's depth. You're like, "Oh, no, actually they're oh. fine down to the 9-10 guys and you actually have guys at the end of the roster who there might be some team out there who thinks is worth even taking a flyer on at this point. You don't just have to outright cut.
1: The depth chart sure looks legit right now.
0: Um, yeah, other than power forward, other right, than, other than power having forward, a big wing who right. can defend, the you things seem okay at, you know, at all the other positions down to uh, at least a couple of guys.
1: Right. And that's and I get that like that was obviously a big need, but like we've talked about there those guys are hard to find. And I may, may just not have been available this off season, certainly at the prices, the price that the Celtics had to offer. So, okay. So let's pivot, let's get, you know, guys that along the margins that, you know, can help us in other areas. And then, you know, if we have to go double bigs at times, or, you know, just to take some pressure off of Tatum and Brown for guarding those positions, like great, or we'll just, you know, kind of adapt on the fly. And then when someone becomes available on that front, we'll be able to, you know, try to pounce on them if it, if it happens. So um, yeah, they're, I mean, they were going to be totally screwed anyway, if, if Tatum or Brown got her period. So, I mean, that, that doesn't really change <laughs> Like that, that they don't have a decent backup power forward for that spot.
0: Yeah. I mean, there aren't many teams that can survive an all-star all NBA player going down anyway. They're talking about just the, an elite few and yeah, the Celtics are not in that, that position. And for sure, there will be nights where, again, it's hard to do this where you have sort of situational stuff and you aren't just falling into consistent patterns and giving all the players consistency that they need to play a game, get an airplane that night, fly to some other city, wake up in the morning, get a, you know, 45 minute game plan, do a walkthrough play again. Like it's hard to, to fall out of that, but there will be nights where it's okay to play double bigs because it's a whatever Thursday night and you're playing in wherever town and they're playing double bigs. And so you can make it work, right? It's not like you can never do that. And we're talking mostly about, things that you envision being major problems when you get to the playoffs, but also this doesn't have to be their roster when they get to the playoffs, right? They could get to the trade deadline and Bradley Beal isn't available. And so the conversations you have to have now about why you can't trade your first round pick go away because you then can trade your first round pick because as soon as you get past the draft, you can trade all your future picks again. And so you don't actually have to worry about some of those things when you get down the line where maybe you can't trade for Kyle Anderson or whatever right now, because you would have to give up a first, but the team is looking pretty good at the trade deadline and you know that the things that you're trying to do aren't available for you to happen right at that point so you can make other moves like that and try to resolve some of these roster holes that are playoff specific things for the playoffs when you get closer to the playoffs and like that's completely fine it's actually something i think maybe hurt the team a little bit in in danny's later years as the gm where the team we, we've talked about before at the trade down is about how they haven't made trade deadline moves. And part of that is because their team has felt very settled at the end of the offseason. And that isn't necessarily the best thing. It's yeah. good for the first half of the season. It's good. You know, there are certain positives about it, but like being able to finish your roster later in the season, when you have some of the other questions about the roster answered, or when you know who's healthy and who's not, things like that um, can also like, there are positives to taking that approach. And, and again, that may not be the design right now, but it could just sort of be what happens is that they get, to that point and they say, hey, look, we actually do have this first round pick that we're comfortable trading, and we have this roster hole, and the team is on pace to win, you know, is to be the three seed and we're better than we thought and all that. And like then you make that kind of move. Um
1: and we have a trade exception. Uh, so. That's yeah, like a they, decent amount. Two,
0: and, yeah, two of those. And you may have somebody who falls out of the rotation because they just aren't quite the right fit. And then you have a there are some moderately sized salaries on the on the team this year that we haven't had in the past, down, you know, from Dunn at five million up to, to Richardson at Eleven and like there are potential, you know, there's some flexibility in the roster that there maybe hasn't been as much of recently. Uh, that that could it obviously could come to nothing, but it's just the kind of thing of like you don't necessarily have to have your entire roster set on for game one of the season. You do have time to to let some things play out here, uh, and so may as well do that. You may as well let them play out unless some like amazing opportunity comes up between now
1: and you know a month from now. I am still kind of shocked not shocked but getting Richardson for nothing given that Dallas didn't do anything with their cap or they obviously stayed over the cap and I know they're probably angling for Drogic um they're clearly angling for Lowry but that given the market and stuff and I feel like that could go down as like a a very nice win for them especially if he looks more like he did in his Miami days. just at that price,
0: yeah, it's another situational thing, right? Like it's the same thing we talked about with shorter where it's like, what else are you going to use this six million dollars for? Okay, well, you get a guy who's a, who's a good value. Richardson's probably paid roughly what you would expect him to be paid, um, but like you have trade exception that's expiring right then, and so do you let it go away for nothing, or do you take this guy who has decent amount of upside, who has shown a history of being a good player in the past, at that point, who fit more of a need than he does now, but you know, is still a, a player of especially because he's a little bit bigger than than somebody like Schroeder, who's like definitely can play uh, and to just get him for nothing. It's good business, right? It's sort of back to, it's always, right? The closer you get to the title, the harder it is to be a GM. Like the moves that you have to make become more restrictive and the decisions are all higher leverage stuff. And it's a little bit back to like that sort of when you're a, a you know little engine that could, you can make those moves. They're like, oh, look at what they did. They got this guy for an exception that's about to expire and ah, they... Were able to move Tristan Thompson and Chris Dunn was one of the best defenders in the league and oh look Dennis Schroeder, they waited him out and like you can do all that kind of thing when you're thinking you're going to be the five seed or the seven seed or whatever um, instead of trying to to push on and, and actually win a title so some of it is that as well right like you always kind of can make yourself look better when you're in when you're in that situation with a little bit less pressure but I think all the moves that they've made have been completely reasonable somewhere between like you know underwhelming but fine to intelligent and and with some upside like <laughs> just like the end of scanner signing for fine. fine. <laughs> yeah well exactly but i mean right like kemba for horford is is fine they had to give up a first round pick you wish they didn't if they had that first round pick maybe they would have, been have like, you seen the turkish results from other things have all you all seen like, the whatever.
1: turkish kid by the way
0: yeah no he looks really good like... i mean there were people who really thought he was a, a big time prospect obviously just statistically there were other people who were like freaking out who thought that he was a terrible pick and all this stuff, whatever but um hmm. certainly looked looked good um creative and tough and interesting and um but even then i don't know if they would have used that pick they may have used that pick right to, to the, the whole power forward or something like that so but the whole point is like that trade isn't like it's not like an a but it's fine yeah and the tristan thompson trade is fine and signing ennis canter is what it is it's a minimum it's fine and then i think the richardson and Schroeder signings are better than fine like i think those are both clear positives in terms of the risk you're taking um so that's all that's all good and and positive and there's nothing that's standing out as like what are you doing? Well, I can't believe you're wasting this opportunity or this is just bad money or there's none of that that's that's happened this offseason and that's that's good. It's a step in the right direction, right? Right.
1: And I honestly I think the Thompson trade was a little bit of better than okay from a standpoint. I thought they were going to have to. I know they had to take back uh, a Met contract and Chris Dunn, but getting a second round pick out of that, like I didn't expect him to do that. I like but they may have to move a second round pick to, to get off them. So that from that standpoint, like I mean, maybe you know what that pick is. It's like remember. a, it's like a 2023, like Portland pick or something like that. It's some random pick that Elena it's not had. like
0: a nothing. Pick. It's like, it's not, it's a real
1: pick. It's, pick. pick. it's an actual pick. It's not a projected pick.
0: I mean, it depends on what done is. I was having this conversation online with somebody else today. It's yeah. like, it seems like it's a home run, but it's like, if Dunn is nothing, if Dunn's not playable, or if you end up waving him or whatever, and like eating $5 million, like Tristan Thompson is well overpaid at the money he makes. Uh, but he's going to play this year. He's going to have some amount of a role somewhere. And you may have taken back two guys who are just like, don't play at all in our dead salary. And, and so like your incremental value of those contracts could end up being kind of a wash. But I think the Celtics certainly got more upside, right? Not only do you get a second round pick, but you also get a player in Dunn who might very well be worth $5 million, even if not here to somebody, because he is, you know, if he's healthy, he is an elite defensive player and he does have some other skills. And like, so I, yeah, I mean, I think the Celtics um, likely did well in that, but it's also possible we look back at it and say like, ah, well, it was a a nothing, right? It was Tristan Thompson gave $2 million of value on a 9-7 contract and these other guys got paid seven something and gave zero value and like, it's kind of a wash and whatever you moved around a second round pick that became nothing. And it could be one of those trades that's just eminently forgettable. That's most likely, um, which is why I say, it's just kind of like, yeah, it's fine. But um, yeah, I think the Celtics got more, more upside in the trade.
1: All right. Let's wrap things up with some, some summer league thoughts since there are a lot of guys we've talked about here that uh, we've seen play his first two games in Vegas. Um, Where do you want to start? What, who, who actually matters to you most? in these first couple games um, we've obviously seen an array of solid performances. Um, is, is Neesmith, I think the clear cut, like most important guy coming out of this, is it Langford or is it, is it Pritchard? I think you can make a case for honestly any of them. I
0: think Neesmith is clearly the most important. Um, Pritchard has been the best of the three, I suppose, uh, though Neesmith's game um, in game two was, was really exceptional for, you know, it's summer league. We all understand that, but uh, some of the things that he was doing are really good. Neesmith's is, is the one who fits the, the largest need on the team. And so I think that's just clearly kind of kind of where he falls in. And I know you were are there, but you were saying we're sort of running around during the game because there was news breaking and other things happening. Yeah, no, I, uh, so you were there, but
1: didn't get to see every every minute of it. I got to see Romeo's dunk and a couple other things, but there's a lot of writing going on during, during game. Yeah,
0: game. yeah. Uh, but Neesmith was legitimately impressive. He was, what, seven of nine from three or, or something along those lines but it was not nine standstill threes, not by any means. Right. Um, there were a couple off the dribble. He had a step back. He had one where he, you know, sort of triple threat sidestep, um, you know, one dribble makespace, way sidestep uh, hit one. Uh, he had one where he was sort of the trailer. It wasn't a fast break at all, but it, it was just sort of like, it almost looked like a design play where it was like, slow down, come up the court behind everybody else. And Pritchard just turned around and, and tossed it back to him. And he, he drilled a shot from probably three feet behind the line. Um, he had a couple of really good movement shots. He had a couple of, Drives that were aggressive and and positive. He hit a really difficult little mid-range shot from behind the backboard. Um, so it was a very impressive shooting outing, but also impressive in terms of sort of the versatility of the shots. It was not, I'm standing in the corner and somebody is creating it for me and kicking out to me and I'm hitting some open, you know, some pretty wide open corner shot. It was difficult shots that he was making. And he looked clearly like the best player on the floor for that game. Pritchard was good. Uh, Bowl was was quite good for the sort of, type of player that he is. He obviously stands out on, on the floor and the way he was playing, he was efficient, but um, yeah, Neesmith looked the best after in game one. I don't think he looked bad. The shot just didn't go in. And if right. the, and the shot doesn't go in you don't look very good. Um, but the fact that he was able to get up eight, you know, eight threes. And again, with a decent amount of versatility in there is really positive. And now you take the, the aggregate of that and he's, you know, eight for 17 from, from three on some pretty difficult attempts in, in a variety of different ways. Plus, good stuff inside his defense hasn't been great um
1: yeah he got blown by a few times i saw like they're kind of ragging him in the box like but that's again if you if he's guarding fours which he might coming off the bench like that hopefully is less of an issue
0: yeah i mean it's a little bit of what i mean again it's summer league like how much of a concern is it um that your second year player isn't playing like His peak defense. He also isn't flying around the court like a crazy person.
1: Right, which is good. Maybe that's good. You shouldn't be doing that.
0: (laughs) We've seen players smart get hurt doing that in summer league in the past. Right. Uh, And will he can? You know, will he get that back in in the regular season? I don't know. Is it good if he does in the regular season? I don't know. Um, If he's going to be playing a real role, then you don't want him risking life and limb on every single three percent chance at an offensive rebound, Uh, his his own life and and his teammates' lives. And opponents' lives, pretty much everybody's lives around the court, with the way he was playing last year. Um, So he hasn't been been sort of looking that sort of out of control and and crazy for all uh, you know, as endearing as it was. The big thing, like I said, is that he's taking difficult, interesting shots and has and now is making them. Um, And that's you know you can't really ask for any more than that that out of him. Uh, Did you see any of those? I mean, you said you saw a couple. Yeah, I saw a few. Yeah, like I did see
1: there are a couple that stood out. Like you said, he was just like moving like kind of you know, the quick release, like moving to one side and still drawing those. I was like, whoa. And then again, 31 points. And then I looked up at the end of third quarter. It was like 31 points in 17 minutes. And I was like, oh, okay. Like this is, this isn't fooling around here. So to your point, this is, this is like, okay, this looks like a number 14 overall pick, which last year, in, and he's doing what he was drafted there for, which is a shooting. And so again, last year was a tough hand for all these guys, you know, no training camp, no summer league or short training camp, no summer league, just no, you know, kind of getting thrown into the fire and what was obviously a very bizarre season for a number of reasons, but for the development for him there, I think, you know, Lankford to a different degree. I mean, he had that crazy dunk, but I think he's just looked solid and at least yeah. more assured of his jump shot. And again, this is, you know, I think his defensive upside is, you know, better than these Smiths. Um, but again, just having these guys retain some, you know, intrigue and potential is crucial now either for this team or in a trade down the line. And I think, again, you have to be happy with the returns on that front. You know, again, only two games in here, but that's, again, a, a good thing.
0: Yeah. I think the most important players being Neesmith, Blankford, and Pritchard have all sort of looked like what you, particularly in game two, looked sort of like what you expect them to look like for the real team, which is a positive. So, like, what is Neesmith doing? He's running around. He is the focal point of an offense. He is getting and creating shots. Lankford has been more of a sort of a fit in, fit in kind of guy. You know, his role on the team, I think is more defensive at this point as a little bit of, you know, secondary playmaking sort of stuff, spacing the core and, you know, in the corner where, like I was saying, you want Neesmith taking more difficult threes. I don't think Langford is really capable of doing that right now, yeah. like, using a little bit more of his athleticism and all around game. And that's just not going to stand out as much on the, on the court. He hasn't so he hasn't looked as good now. Is that concerning, a little bit? It's his third year. You would hope that you somewhere along the way here he would also have a big you know 25 point game or something like that. But he does look a little bit more sort of like a fill-in. You know, he's sort of a gap filler on the floor where he's a little bit of a ball handler, a little bit of a defender, and a little bit of a driver, and he's making corner threes and kind of that stuff. But um, it's not as standard as a standout game. But I think that it's reasonable to think that that would be more of the role he would be playing for the, for the the real team. And then Pritchard, his game has stood out more. He obviously has the ball in his hands. He's floor spacer he's taking a lot of these really deep threes which are helpful for somebody with his sort of maybe a little bit lack of athleticism be able to create more space by by pushing back out but also i think he had 12 assists eight rebounds you know whatever that he's not going to get he's not going to be a big rebounder but um did i think i've 12 assists in in the second game as well Um, and so he's getting in there he's using the shot to create for others running the offense Um, i still i think that a lot of people have settled into the idea that he's almost more of a shooting guard on this team than a, a pure point guard particularly with the wings doing a little bit more playmaking. And from that standpoint, it's looked really positive because if he can stand four feet behind the three point line, and still has to be respected. then that's like a pretty big deal um, in terms of what that does
1: for, for Jason.
0: Yeah. It just, you know, you have him on the the right wing three feet behind the line and Jalen or Jason trying to drive in. Like there's no, you can't collapse in on them nearly as easily. And, And neither of them are great in terms of like ball strength with guys trying to strip them coming from that side. Like it actually is kind of a big deal to have somebody over there who, forces that help defender to not be able to get there and and open up that right hand drive for both of them coming off the left and that seems to be something that Pritchard is like specifically like this is a spot that I need to be able to shoot from four feet behind the line on the right wing and it's like I kind of get where that where that would come from so all three of them like I said I think have looked good in terms of what you're hoping to get out of them not just in in summer league but but for the real team uh and that's all that you can really hope for from from your other guys here we can talk about the other you know Madar and
1: well, I you that, but, like, I there's think there's
0: just not as much there to, to really. No. Say,
1: like, well, no. especially if Madar now that the shorter signing happens, Madar probably yeah. like was punching the bench when this happened because I think his odds of, you know, getting the 15th spot in this roster are, are gone now. Um, so, which is too bad. I mean, again, he had some nice flash in the first game and didn't really do anything in game two. But, you know, the it, he clearly wants to come over this year. And I assume that they're not going to buy him out to – him on a two-way contract since that probably doesn't make a ton of sense financially, unless again, unless he really, really looks good and is, is willing to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, if there is a, like I said, if there is a consolidation trade in the works um, then perhaps he benefits if it's a, you know, two for one, three for two type situation, and something opens up if, if they cut Jabari too, because they get someone in that deal that replaces him. But if not, then, you know, you have a couple intriguing guys overseas too with him and Begarone. um no idea if that's how right way to pronounce that name but that's what we're gonna go no with neither. and yeah. um yeah i mean that's kind of how you go right
0: i think that there's some it's hard for me to see the path for kermandar coming over right now um for all the reasons that you said there's also in that last thing like some small little thing of like if you're trying to make a trade later he's more valuable as a, a stash rights player than he would be as a two-way player yeah So that may have some minor impact on something where you sort of feel good about the fact that he's still overseas. If, you know, if you're trying to find the last little piece to make a trade work, um, you know, at the deadline or something like that. So it's interesting. I thought that, that he did show enough to have some amount of intrigue. I, um, I think that first game, it was helpful for him to be going up against somebody who, um, you know, against Sharif Cooper, who there are some, you know, does have some big fans around at least around draft Twitter. Um, maybe not around the league so much or he wouldn't have slid so far down the draft, but like he's going to have somebody who like a name that people know as a point guard and um, kind of made him look bad a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was funny. Like I know Cooper hit the, you know, 20 points and hit the game winner in his second game. I thought he was terrible in the first game against the Celtics. Like right. He threw the ball away twice on inbounds. I
1: I was shocked. I know people
0: game. He couldn't, he couldn't dribble when he was up against you know uh, against two different defenders the Celtics had who just took the ball away from him a couple times he looked no threat to shoot and then and he was creative you know there are some of the things that you see that are interesting in game two he was clearly much better and and more assured with making a bunch of threes and if he can make threes he'll be an interesting player but I just thought against the Celtics he looked really like I was watching the game. I was like what why are why is everybody about this guy like he's got nothing going on exactly
1: I was shocked. like when Mudar just like twice literally just stonewalling him took it from yeah, him I just mean, took it from yeah. him. i was like whoa who's this guy and then after the, people were like yeah this defense like gonna be a steal and i'm like uh ah. well like, he threw he's away
0: really a... both inbound passes at the end of the game to lose the game right yeah, and, was... well, and he was like i said in the first thing was no threat from three i think he went like five for eight in, in the game yesterday and then made the game winner and that's obviously a game-changing skill for a lot of players but i just thought it was was helpful to put madar up against a name player and you're not like right. playing against some point you know 26 year old point guard who's signed who really has no chance of ever being in the nba or something like that. he was playing against somebody who who people know and who was interesting in college and and looked good even in that that short amount and that helps again for if somebody's looking for you know oh okay well this second round pick's not valuable enough to make this trade but what about that guy you've got stashed over there like something like that could happen but it's hard for me to see him ending up on the team now we were just talking about who they're going to have to get rid of to get down to 15 right uh, and he's 16 or 17 or 17. 18, whatever he is on the yeah. depth chart, depending on where you think Carson Edwards is that, you know, it's, um, so I don't really see much of a path there, but still, it's good to see anybody who's in the system have, you know, have any good moments that's in front of a lot of GMs and all that, right. <laughs> I think it's better to have that than go out and, and look like you're lost.
1: Right. And Bruno Fernando looks like he might be better than Moses Brown. We'll see. Um, and so that's from that standpoint, that's um, better. That's than
0: a, Lawson. <laughs> um, to, I'm
1: like, yeah, He's a role center on the roster, so that that's yeah, he
0: can catch the ball, and it helps. I think it helps um, like Pritchard and 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 others to have somebody. He also set a couple of, of, I think, those like sort of not the full on Tice seal screens, but there were a couple of um, the the Smith hoops where he got got in where um, you give a little bit of the credit there, at least to Fernando as well in the way he was taking up space. So
1: um,
0: yeah, he looked like a player who's not out of depth in summer league, which is the Celtics bigs in the first game looked like they weren't really meant to be on the floor in the first three quarters of a summer league game even. So that, that hurt them a little bit.
1: Right. All right. So yeah, that's it. again. we have a I'll actually play three more games, which is feels like a lot, but that that's going to happen. Not everybody's going to
0: play three more games. That's true. I know. I
1: wonder if we've seen the last of Pritchard and Neesmith um, after, maybe they'll play one more game if that, uh, but again, they've, they've shown enough already where you maybe say, okay, guys, let's, uh, let's give Yamadar some, some extra run and uh well,
0: are there summer league playoffs this year? I don't even.
1: There's I'm one, even there's one game. day, there's like a championship game, and then there's like one, everyone's going to play one extra game, which is a playoff. Oh, they don't game. have
0: that, that whole bracket like, double there's no, and yeah, and there's no, thing, where yeah, get to the end, and there's nobody playing it. You know, it's the championship, and there's nobody who's anybody has ever heard of is playing in the game. It's not, we're not doing that whole thing this year. We're, okay.
1: we're not doing that this year. I think that That's is good. a plus, uh, a nice adjustment by the NBA um, in these times. So, um, yeah, but we'll have again, all we'll through more games. So we'll get probably a closer look at some of these younger guys with, um, you know, some of the older crew, um, getting some time off. I assume Carson Edwards is going to play the duration because <laughs> he's probably playing for his job, uh, whether it's here or somewhere else, but, um, we'll be back with you guys. Uh, we'll say next week, I'm guessing with a wrap up of all the summer league stuff, but as always, Ryan, thank you for hopping board and make sure you follow him at danger cart on Twitter. Um, and it's, well, hopefully this, Podcast will stay a little bit more um, relevant than the one Mike, Rich, and I did um, about three hours yesterday before the the shooter signing.